Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Looking for the sexiest new job? Or maybe the techiest? Or the chefiest? Or perhaps the salesiest? We have them all and more on Ireland's jobsiest job site, jobs.ie, where 90% of jobs advertised end in a hire. So it's the savviest place to search too. With smart technology that matches your CV with the career you're looking for, just register today and download our app to find your dreamiest job. Jobs.ie, the jobsiest job site. I'm in a garage in northern Nigeria with a man named Abdullahi Bawa. He's showing me his younger brother's battered car. The car has been sitting in the garage just collecting dust. Abdullahi speaks Hausa, and that's the predominant language here in northern Nigeria. And he's walking around and he's showing me his brother's shoes, his brother's bag, his brother's copy of the Holy Quran. And at this point, he says, You see, this is a bullet. Here are the holes where bullets actually punctured through the car. Can you tell me what happened to your brother? Abdullahi's brother is named Muazu. He was last seen on what's called the Meiduguri Dematuru Highway. So the family went out there looking for him. And after a few hours, they found his car. It was abandoned on the side of the road. And all of his belongings, his shoes, his Quran, they were all inside the car. But Muwazu, he wasn't there. So, of course, the family is incredibly worried. And then they get a call from a family friend who confirms their deepest fear that Muwazu has been kidnapped by the terrorist group called Boko Haram. And Boko Haram is demanding money in order to release him. I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to your brother. It's a difficult test from God. That's what Abdullahi was telling me. He says this is a test of his faith. This family, they really want to get the government to help them, but they don't really have access to people in power. But then they get a lucky break. Their case gets picked up by a hostage negotiator, someone who will talk to Boko Haram on their behalf and negotiate a ransom. There are only a handful of these people in the entire country, and the practice is extremely controversial. In fact, some Nigerian lawmakers want to criminalize anyone who engages in it. But for Abdullahi and his family, it might be their only way to get Mwazu back. 
Nigeria, kidnapping has become lucrative business. But state authorities believe the payment of ransom is fueling further kidnappings. You are helpless. You don't have options. The children of Nigeria were kidnapped and no government could lift a finger. It's the kidnappers who should be punished, not the people trying to save their loved ones. We have sold all our properties, everything that was valued to us, we sold to rescue our children. This is Vice News Reports, and I'm your host, Ariel Zumros. And I'm Chika Odua, a reporter based in Nigeria, West Africa. You're holding on to his belongings. Do you expect him to come back? Are you hopeful? Yes, Munasari, inshallah. So, Chika, you recently spoke to a man named Abdullahi, whose brother was kidnapped by Boko Haram. Yeah, that's correct. You know, Abdullahi's brother Moazu, unfortunately, was a victim in this ongoing kidnapping crisis that Nigeria is going through. And I've been covering this crisis ever since it started. Kidnapping has become such a problem, in a large part because of Boko Haram. It's a radical Islamic group that has pledged allegiance to ISIS and it wants to start an Islamic caliphate in Nigeria. And they've realized that kidnapping for ransom is a way to make money. It's a lucrative business. And as a result, other insurgents and bandits have started kidnapping too. So it's become an industry. And just this year alone, more than a thousand people have been kidnapped. And unfortunately, Muazu, Abdullahi's brother, he's caught up in this crisis. And now his case is in the hands of a hostage negotiator. Assalamu alaikum. Hello. Hello. Who will go directly to Boko Haram and try to secure Muaz's release. So can you tell me a little bit about this hostage negotiator? Her name is Umu Kaltun, but most people call her Umi. Can I take a call? Hello. She's from northern Nigeria and She's been doing this since 2019. She's a very devout Muslim. How are you? I want you to calm down, please, okay? Take it easy. She speaks in between English and Hausa, and I was struck by how young she actually looks. She's 25 years old. Wow, okay. And Umi has become one of the most successful negotiators in Nigeria. So wait, this is this is like a job? Well, it's... There are not a lot of them. I don't want you to think that there are like hundreds of negotiators, that it's like a job. No, I would say in Nigeria, there are less than 10 people who are actually doing this. And these people work as individuals. They don't work with the government. They've just kind of taken it upon themselves to do this work. She's constantly on the phone, you know, talking to the insurgents and talking to the families. Hello. Her phone's ringing off the hook. Good evening, how are you? I said they took my husband five months back. With people begging for her help. People like this call me all, all, all of the time. Let me call her back. Umi insists that she doesn't get a cut of these ransoms, and it's the family members of those who've been abducted who raise the money, not Umi. And Umi goes to great lengths to avoid even the appearance that she's profiting from this money. But to be honest, there is room for skepticism in all of this. Mm. 
This is a very murky industry. It's coded in secrecy. Everything is really clandestine. Umi grew up hearing about different Boko Haram attacks happening all around her. She was seeing her city being shot up by Boko Haram, explosions in the marketplace, explosions in the churches and mosques. 2009, Boko Haram went on a rampage. In 2009, they declared war on the Nigerian government. That was their first big attack. So where were you at that time? I was, I was a student, and I was even in primary school. I can remember shootings, and it was, it was horrible. Sometimes we will even spend one week at home, two weeks at home without going out. And food will be very scarce. And if you go out, gunshot. You are at home, gunshot. Boko Haram actually means Western education is sinful. Boko is kind of like a slang term for books. And then Haram, of course, Islam, Haram is uh, forbidden. In 2017, she started an organization called the Khartoum Foundation for Peace. And originally, she was going to focus on girls and women's empowerment and education with the ultimate goal of bringing Boko Haram to the negotiating table to talk to the Nigerian government. But the kidnappings are at such a crisis point right now that Umi, she ended up focusing on those kidnappings. You know, I remember when, you know, in the news, this very big story for a long time about the kidnapping of hundreds of schoolgirls from a school in Chibok. Over 200 schoolgirls abducted from Chibok in Borno State are still missing. And then there was this like big international campaign, Bring Back Our Girls. Bring Back Our Girls Now! Exactly. Um, that happened in April 2014. Boko Haram infiltrated a boarding school. It really put Boko Haram in the international spotlight. They said, okay, well, we've got the ear of the world. Let's demand some money. Ultimately, they were paid a ransom of what amounts to more than $3.5 million to release not even all, but 103 of the girls. That's a huge amount, right? It's huge. There's a figure that one analyst came up with between June of 2011 to the end of March of 2020, at least $18 million has been paid in ransom to kidnappers, bandits, Boko Haram. Wow. Yeah. It's really, really ugly. It's such an ugly affair, to be honest. You've got the kidnappers themselves, you've got the victims, you've got the government, and the intermediaries, the negotiators who have taken on this life-saving but very controversial work of making sure that the families get the money to the kidnappers. And that's where Umi comes in. When I visited Umi in May, she was working on her biggest case yet. She was trying to negotiate the release of 10 hostages at the same time. And one of them is Muwazu, Abdullahi's brother, who was kidnapped from his car. Today is my first time uh, meeting uh, Muwazu's family face to face. And we, I get to understand more about Mazu and uh, the situation. 
she's asking, how are you and how's family? And then he just kind of breaks into it. He says, my brother has been kidnapped. And she's like, yeah, I know. I know. So she tells Abdullahi step by step what needs to happen. She says, look, you know, Boko Haram, they usually don't release people for free. They usually ask a ransom, but they don't use the word ransom. They use this word, Isan. It's like broken Arabic, and it means something like a token. They don't like the word ransom because it makes it feel like they're doing this for money. And they're like, no, we're not. We're just, we're all about ideology and doing the work of God. And so he asks, well, how much should I raise? And Umi says that she can't make that determination. So what she says to him is raise whatever you can raise. And then I'll let them know what it is. And she says that it has to be reasonable, like nothing too small. It has to be something substantial. In the past, for other cases, they've demanded 50000 and 500000 So with every single case, they tend to increase their demand. This so-called token is getting higher and higher. What she has to do now is to get them to bring it down, to accept something less. But that doesn't always work. Abdullahi says, I have to be frank here. I can't do much. He's an electronic repairman. He repairs things like fans and cell phones and things like that. And he earns less than $50 a month. So there's no way he can pay this thing. That sounds incredibly difficult for everyone involved. How is it that Umi is in a position to advise these families in the first place? Like, how does this 25-year-old woman end up navigating high-stakes negotiations with this terrorist organization? How did she develop these connections to Boko Haram? I explicitly put this question before her. So, Umi, you talk to Boko Haram directly. That's wild. I mean, it's, it's very rare to see someone able to talk to them. How are you able to establish that open communication with them? How did it get started? And she was very cryptic about it. She literally said, I keep that to myself. Some people may say that the work you're doing is actually financing terrorism. <laughs> yes. That's... How do you respond to that type of accusation? Well, I feel bad because all my intention is to help people, not to, not to hurt anybody. Paying of ransoms, it's Nigeria's dirty secret, you know? So she doesn't want to come out openly to say this is what she's doing. And she also doesn't want to be accused of being a Boko Haram sympathizer. Because that's the first thing people are going to say. Like, how do you have the ear of Boko Haram? You must be on their side. What was the first attempt? Like, how did you actually make that link? But she did say that she first reached out to them 2017 for peace talks. They didn't answer. They said that they had to investigate 
So they started investigating her. They put spies out around the city to just kind of like watch her from afar. They wanted to see if she was a good Muslim. And they decided to test her. They said, okay, look, you want to talk to us, fine. First, let's talk about ransom before peace. Let's talk about hostages. I asked Umi, did she ever see herself doing this, you know? And she said, no, 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 no. She saw them as monsters. As monsters. And today, would you still see them as monsters? <laughs> well, before, if I even hear them, I feel scared. But now that she's been meeting with them face to face, interacting with them. Now I can meet them physically and I, I can see them as human beings. They are human beings. All of them are human beings. They are just people like everyone. And if they're people, you can negotiate with them. The difference is just uh, the weapons that they hold. How many cases involving kidnapping have you been involved in? I do. Uh, she starts listing out the people that she's helped. Names of students, names of pastors. When we talked in May of this year, she'd already negotiated the release of 11 people. And I was there that spring when she was able to get one pastor released. So you have the victim? Yes, that's very exciting. How do you feel? You must be very happy. Of course. Uh, very happy. In that case, Umi delivered a ransom of around $15,000 to $20,000. She doesn't want to say exactly how much it was. Then there was a man who didn't want to return because he had bought into their ideology and he joined Boko Haram. There was also a prisoner that she was negotiating for who Boko Haram did not release. That negotiation failed. That was the one who was killed. Yes. Bokram had asked for $500,000, and she had a very hard time trying to raise that money. She made so many phone calls to politicians and wealthy people, but she couldn't raise anywhere near that amount. Umi offered 60000 They sent me the video. I couldn't watch it. And shortly after, Boko Haram sent her a video of them decapitating that man. Because they they didn't want to accept a ransom that was so much lower than what they had asked for. And Umi, she got that message very clear. She can never do that again. I was sick and crying. It was horrible. That must be incredibly traumatic for her. I, I can't even imagine the burden that that must actually be for her. Right. I mean, it's like these lives are in her hands at this point. So what would I do? I have to save lives. If I say no, nobody will talk uh, uh, on behalf of these people. And if they stay long, they will be killed. After the break, we find out what happens with Muazu's negotiation. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. issue of kidnap and ransom you know internationally you know, the notion is please don't negotiate particularly when it comes to ransom so chica you were following as this hostage negotiator umi kaltum tries to secure the release of these 10 people but paying ransoms is pretty controversial right when you do so you embolden them they only become bolder yes it, it really is especially in nigeria right now Because more and more people are asking, is it worth it to get people freed? Or does paying these ransoms only encourage more kidnapping? In fact, in the middle of us reporting this story, a Nigerian senator introduced a bill. Anyone who transfers funds to criminalize the act of paying ransom is guilty of a felony. So anyone who pays a ransom to kidnappers could face up to 15 years in prison, Umi included. So this would make her work effectively illegal. The logic behind this position is as simple as it is compelling. Ransom payments lead to future kidnappings. And future kidnappings lead to additional ransom payments. And it all builds the capacity of terrorist organizations to conduct attacks. When this bill was proposed, oh my goodness, the backlash. A lot of people think it's not a good idea. They say it's the kidnappers who should be punished, not the people trying to save their loved ones. My initial thought was to read it over and over again. I thought I did not understand the English. Many people came out, you know, radio stations had call-ins and TV stations discussed this. Because this is so boldly insensitive and people were quite upset i am still i'm still in shock some nigerians think it would help but then others say no people are going to die you know they're going to die if you stop this but everyone agrees that the nigerian government has to beef up its own security apparatus they have to find a way to prevent kidnapping otherwise we wouldn't even be having this conversation chica Where is the government in these mediations? I know a government spokesperson told Vice News that they have a good working relationship with UMI and her foundation. But why is the work falling to UMI in the first place? They're not supporting her on paper, but everything that she's doing, she's getting government sign off. They're behind the scenes in all of this. And to really understand their involvement, it's you really have to understand Nigeria's fractured landscape. This is a country with 250 different ethnic groups. Everything comes down to who are you? What language do you speak? What's your ethnicity? What's your religion? What's your socioeconomic status? So depending on whether your loved one is the right type of victim 
in the right type of circumstance at the right time, you might get the state or federal government to actually come and help you. So how do the families of these victims, how do they feel about the way that the government has been handling all of this? Oh, of course they're angry. 40 days, the future of Nigeria, the children of Nigeria were kidnapped and no government, both federal and the state, none of them could lift a finger. But Nigerians have very low expectations of the government at this point. We have sold all our properties, everything that was valued to us, we sold to rescue our children. There is no government, there is no security agency anywhere that came out for any assistance or any help. So Umi, she's very ambivalent about this bill. Maybe in the future, if the security situation is better, it would be a good idea. But she doesn't think the Nigerian government can actually guarantee safety right now. And this is a debate that Umi is having behind the scenes with one of her mentors, Dr. Mohamed Sani. He was her high school teacher, and now he's an advisor on her foundation board. And he disagrees with her going to pay ransoms to Boko Haram. She's feeling a gap. I understand she's feeling a gap. Dr. Sani also agrees that the Nigerian government is not doing enough to protect its citizens. And he says that Umi is doing what the government is failing to do. The, the success is, is, is yet to be achieved. Would you say that she's successfully helping people to get their lives back? No, she, she's saving lives. She, she's saving lives. Sometimes I don't think it's worth doing. But he thinks maybe this work is backfiring and that Umi, she's gone in too deep and the price of a life is becoming too high. The Isans that they're demanding. Too much, you end up arming them. You are doing more harm than good. Are you concerned about perpetuating violence? Of course I'm concerned. But I told Isaiah, it's not your responsibility. Where is the government? Where are the police? Where is the army? Where are all the security, the DS? What are they doing? So that they executed this man. How did that become your fault? But she said, no, once I'm involved, I must be able to save the person. She wants to finish what she started. And I think she's like she has found a higher purpose. You said earlier that Umi doesn't get paid a cut of the ransom. But does she still have an incentive for these negotiations to continue? Like, is she getting anything out of this? Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot. Like, what exactly is her role in all of this? She's very careful to be in the middle. You know, I'm not on the government side. I'm not on Boko Haram's side. I'm just a player in the middle trying to save lives. But the fact is that she's playing a role in this ransom industry. She's playing an active role because she's channeling funds to Boko Haram, a murderous militia that's at war with the Nigerian federal government. It's incredibly complicated. And for now, it does seem like the best shot at safely returning people back to their families is to pay these controversial payments. So while that bill to criminalize ransoms is making its way through the Nigerian Senate, Umi is continuing her work, negotiating for the release of Mwazu and nine other hostages. 
So Umi says that she's going to tell Boko Haram that this is a very poor family. She's going to plead with them to have mercy on them. And she's trying to see if they can perhaps release Moazu for free, along with the other prisoners. Because she's negotiating for 10 people at the same time in total. And five of them will probably be able to pay something. The other five, she's hoping that Boko Haram can perhaps give them away without any kind of payment. In the meantime, she tells them what every Muslim would tell another person, you know, just keep praying to Allah. It will be done. Just keep praying, keep praying. So Umi knows that Abdullahi and his family probably won't be able to raise much money. So what does she do next? How is she going to get the ransom? When I met her in Abdullahi, Boko Haram had given her a two-week deadline. So in the days where it's like getting closer and closer to that deadline, she's getting a flurry of phone calls. She's also calling people out, trying to say, pay this money, pay this money. She calls it a message. You know, she'll say on the phone, do you have the message? How is the message coming? I asked her, how much money do you have so far? And she doesn't want to reveal that information. All I know is that I heard one family say that they had $20,000. I come to meet Umi pretty much every single day in her office. And she's letting me listen in on her conversations day after day. But somehow I get a sense that she's not telling me everything. Before I go, I don't tell anybody. In order for it to be successful, she can't tell me everything. Whenever I, I go to, to rescue a person, I don't tell my family. I don't tell anybody. It may be tomorrow or next tomorrow or Friday, Saturday or Sunday. You would make the arrangement. So as the day is getting closer and closer, Umi to meet Boko Haram, she's just waiting for the text that says it's time. She has to know where to go. I'm nervous. It's a big job and uh, it's a heavy one and uh, a lot of pressure on me. Maybe I can come out with, with uh, maybe seven people, eight, ten, maybe ten. So finally she gets that location that communicated to her. So Friday, we go to her office expecting to see her again, and she is not there. Well, she's usually late, so, you know, we, we're waiting for her. But she never shows up. We haven't heard from Umu in almost two days now. And her colleagues, they don't hear from her either. Dr. Sani says that he's worried about her. The last thing we heard from him was a text that literally says, I'm scared. We don't hear from her for days. For days, I suspect she might have gone on to the bushes to meet Boko Haram. And then three days turns into four days. It's like, okay, where is Umi? I'm going to try to call Umi one more time. Four days is a long time. The longest she'd ever been away for an exchange was three days max. And the call's not even going through. And then finally, five days later, hello? Hello, how are you? 
Umi reappears. Hi, Umi. It's so nice to hear your voice. Thank you. After so many days. Yeah. I'm like, Umi, are you okay? I've been so worried about you. Yeah. So what happened? So what really happened is that uh, we went to Damascus. We spent uh, three days and... uh, What she says, uh, it's a little hard to follow, to be honest, and also a little contradictory. She said that Boko Haram insurgents kept telling her to come to one place and then another place and another. They were switching the locations. And when she was finally able to get a final location, she was stopped at a checkpoint by men in camouflage. We approached criminals by the road. And they robbed us. They robbed us. They, they took everything from us. Wow. They took everything. My phone, they took it away. She said her phone, her money. They snatched both of them. She told me that they said, where is the message? Where is the message? So did they take the ransom money? Yes, they took everything with us. Everything. How much money was that, Umi? Uh, um, they took, what they took is, uh, they didn't take anybody's phone. It's mine only. Yeah. How much money did they take? How much of the ransom money? Uh, no, it's not ransom. And she says, no, no, we didn't go with any ransom. There was no ransom. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Umi, these families raised money. Did you have it or not? And she says, oh, no, we just had like pocket change for us to get through the bushes. No, any ransom money with us, but uh, we have some money to take care of ourselves that we had. So she finally said that, yes, these robbers were Boko Haram, but that they were from a rival faction. And ultimately, the robbers let her go. So she proceeds to the negotiation point. And when she gets there, she sees the 10 hostages who she's supposed to be releasing. She told me Boko Haram says, where is the money? Where is the message? And she says, I was robbed. She explains the situation to them and they say, well, you know, we can't release these people. Like I said, it's very confusing. She was telling everyone a different story. She told me that she never had ransom money with her, but then she told our fixer that she did have the money and it was stolen. I'm in trauma now. I have to, I need, I need, I need rest. I need to rest. It sounds like some of the trust has been broken down. Yes, I'm confused. I could tell that she was really nervous. So it's trying to make sense of everything, trying to put the pieces together and ascertain what's fiction and what's fact. I don't think that she's telling the truth about them not demanding a ransom. We ended the call with Umi swearing she's never going to go back into a remote place again. She says that if Boko Haram wants to do any more exchange, they need to come closer to town, which is much safer. She doesn't want to go into these far-flung places anymore. And so by the end of the conversation, I'm left wondering, is this the end of Umi the negotiator? So Umi went to do this negotiation, and we don't exactly know what happened to this ransom money, right? So. What happened to the hostages? They were not released. So the day that uh, Umi actually came back, we were not in town. We had to leave. And, and less than two weeks later, I got news that Umi had gone back for this exchange and she was successful. She was able to secure the release of these 10 people. 
So wait, Mwazu is back with Abdullahi? Mwazu is back with Abdullahi. Hello, my brother is free. Just uh, let me call you and greet you. And I say thank for you. I'm, I'm telling you that I am very happy. It's really, really sweet. I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Thank you. That's really good to hear. What about this bill that's supposed to criminalize ransoms? Did it pass? It has passed a second reading in the Nigerian Congress. So now it's actually waiting for the president. He is notoriously slow. We call him Baba Go Slow. I suspect he's probably going to approve of it because he's trying to also have a hard stance against ransom payments. But we don't know when that's going to happen. We're just waiting to see. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Special thanks to Joe Hill, Sean Stevens, Craig Thompson, Julia Steers, Roberto Daza, and Abdul Karim Haruna. Vice News Reports is produced by Jesse Alejandro Cuttrell, Sophie Casis, Jen Kinney, Janice Yamoka, Julia Nutter, and Sarah Covedo. Our senior producers are Ashley Cleek and Adiza Egan. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Natasha Jacobs, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producer and VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. From iHeart executive producers, Nikki Etor and Lindsay Hoffman. I'm Ariel Duemros. Podcast hosts say this all the time, and I say it all the time, but please take the time to rate and review the podcast. It really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. Everyone knows Romeo serves some of the best fish and chips in Ireland. But did you know that our pizzas are just as tasty too? Hand-rolled, stone-baked, and covered in fresh mozzarella. No wonder our Big Five deal is so popular. Romeo's 12-inch margarita pizza, five chicken goujons, three onion rings, chips, and a choice of dip for just $12.95. Order now on the app or romeos.ie. The Big Five, just $12.95. Romeo's, ready when you are.